From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, pseudo-exfoliation and regulatory update at Surgical Summit 2019. And there is, in fact, one, this dolvinotide peptide that's being uh, investigated right now as actually a potential treatment for the underlying process. First this. I know many of the audience of A Scene From Here also watch my live conference interviews on ewreplay.org. These brief video programs highlight the most important news from major ophthalmology meetings and number in the hundreds every year. But if you haven't watched ewreplay.org recently, you've got to check it out. iWorld Replay has really upped its game with super video production and fantastic content. ewreplay.org, we've just renovated and we'd love to have you over. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2019 Surgical Summit meeting in Park City, Utah. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Gary Condon on his Alan Crandall lecture on pseudoexfoliation and from the ever-charming Nancy McCann on new regulations by which we Americans must abide. I'm here with Gary Condon, member of the ASCRS Glaucoma Clinical Committee. Gary, every time that uh, you and I speak, I learn something new, and I know that I'm going to learn something new today because you gave the Alan Crandall lecture, uh, and the subject was pseudo-exfoliation, but not in the sort of limited way that I think of pseudo-ex. Let me have you sort of spell out, give me the, the, the lay of the land, and then I'll have some more specific questions. So, uh, great question, Josh, and it's a phenomenal subject in my view. It's really shaped my career to some extent. But pseudoexfoliation has been with us for a uh, hundred years now, and only in the last ten years that uh, uh, we've been uh, really able to understand the connection to the um, chromosomal aspect of this and, and where all the action happens. And essentially, there are now a, a number of studies being done looking specifically at uh, where the uh, disease entity originates from uh, on the gene, the Loxel1 gene, and how this uh, essentially produces this disruption or this um, abnormality in metabolism uh, through this uh, lysyl oxidase enzyme resulting in a systemic condition, really, uh, that uh, has ocular manifestations that we deal with day in and day out. So what, what are some of the, the, the non-ocular manifestations? So in general, these patients have this um, uh, pseudoexfoliation material, if you will, expressed in a number of their organs, including the lung, the brains, the endothelial lining of blood vessels, uh, liver, kidneys, etc., and it does impart some um, systemic um, elements in the sense that these patients uh, have a higher risk of neurosensory hearing loss, uh, cerebral vascular accidents, and um, uh, those sorts of things. Despite that, though, these patients, um, um, e- even the ones that can also have COPD as a manifestation of this, um, don't have a, a shortened longevity. Huh. In fact, patients who have pseudoexfoliation and COPD live longer than patients who have COPD without having pseudoexfoliation. So it's a fascinating thing. Yeah, what, what, what actually is the, the pseudoexfoliative stuff? 
So it's really a, a, a extracellular uh, material that is um, a microfibrillary uh, material, if you will, and it's um, it's essentially uh, breakdown products of the um, mismetabolism of elastin and collagen as a result of abnormal cross-linking through this disruption in this lysyl oxidase enzyme. Uh, so, in short, in the intracellular zone now, which is what's really being looked at, it's a lysosomal microtubule interaction problem that essentially results in the uh, inability of the cell to get rid of garbage. And this garbage is expressed um, when these lysosomal um, um, microorganelles, if you will, don't make it to the uh, nucleus to get pop proper uh, degradation of the material. Gary, the, the, the pathophysiology is very, very interesting and it's it's the 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 genetic connections that are being made are interesting too but are there any implications in terms of, of, of therapy based on this knowledge that's been gathered? Right, so as more and more knowledge uh, through a number of studies now, and, and Robert Rich has been uh, really um, spearheading a lot of this and bringing it to ophthalmology um, uh, in clinical relevance, so to speak. But um, So if we have this, it's really an autophagy um, inability to digest this material uh, through this enzyme problem that if we had a, um, a peptide, and there is in fact one, this uh, dolvinotide peptide that's being uh, investigated right now as actually a potential um, treatment for the underlying process rather than treating the secondary uh, manifestations like intraocular pressure, if you will. And this peptide research is a is being looked at as in connection with its uh, use in neurodegenerative disorders. So something exciting to be able to look uh, forward to perhaps for really getting at this condition which is becoming more and more prevalent and a greater and greater problem in ophthalmology. Really, really interesting. So the idea would be for a systemic treatment, not, not, not just an eye treatment? Correct. I mean, the, if, if there's a systemic peptide that can be used to realign this lysosome microtubule sort of dysfunctionality, then it would represent a systemic approach. Uh, really, really fascinating stuff. Gary, uh, I, I want to thank you for, for bringing this really, really neat stuff to us, and congratulations uh, for giving a wonderful Alan Crandall lecture. Uh, and, and as always, I just want to thank you for being so very generous with your time with us today. Absolute pleasure, always. I'm here with Nancy McCann. Nancy, you, 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 I know I always say the same thing, but I want you to know that it's heartfelt, that you bring me good news and joy every time that, that, we, <laughs> that we speak. Nancy, I, I'm, I'm drowning in, uh, in, in compliance with, 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 with MIPS and changing medical record systems in order to make things work with, without hiring 40 more people. Um, but, you know, let, let's say that this is what the status quo is now. Where are we going forward? What, what, what do I have to, to look forward to? Okay, so basically, and I just want to remind everyone that MIPS is just one of the tracks, if you will, for um, quality program, which was really instituted by MACRA. So if you remain in fee-for-service, you're subjected to MIPS. This is actually the third year of MIPS. And the government is transitioning it in. So basically, the first year was very simple for um, physicians to participate. Um, basically, hardly anybody got penalized. And as a result of that, because it's a budget-neutral program, there wasn't that much money 
uh, to give for bonuses. Um, and then the second year, they ratcheted up a little bit more, so you needed 15 points in order to avoid penalty. This year, uh, you have to reach 30 points in order to not be penalized, and the, the penalty is actually 7%. Eventually, you're gonna, they're going to get to the mean or the median, but actually the medical community is working together on uh, some legislative language uh, that we want to address some of the um, issues that remain in MACRA that are problematic. Uh, We were able to get um, a technical corrections bill last year, but there's still some other issues. Um, And then uh, part of that as well is that um, we are now going to have a five-year freeze in payments. In other words, there won't be an update for five years. You still will uh, be able to get bonuses because of MIPS um, or APMs, or you could be penalized, but the update on the conversion factor will no longer be there for five years. That's part of MACRA. And so the medical community is working together to try and address that issue among others. And um, the other issue is this other track, if you will, called alternative payment models. And in ophthalmology, we really don't have any alternative payment models that are appropriate. Um, We're really office-based, we're not hospital-based, there are challenges there. But you can see that the incentives are aligned so that the bigger bonuses are if you go into these alternative payment models. And so for now, Our members are in MIPS. We're actually very successful. Ophthalmology did the best of any specialty in the first year of MIPS, and I like to think that's because we've done such a good job of, number one, educating our members and our administrators, um, but also the ophthalmology community has done a great job of developing measures that are pertinent and that are outcomes, which is really what the government wants to see. When when you say that, I I ask this for the physicians listening to it, not the administrators from the office who already know, know this. Mm-hmm. But when you say 30 points, what, what are, what are po- points mean prizes? What are points? <laughs> okay. So basically, um, MIPS is divided up into four categories. There's the quality category. There's the promoting interoperability, which is the old EMR, and as I like to call it, meaningless use. Um, and then you've got the... Um, Uh, improvement activities, and then there's the cost category. So each of those components is worth some some points. And each of them, you have to, like in the quality, you have to report on six measures with one outcome measure to get the most points there. And then promoting interoperability, you have to report on uh, several measures in order to get full credit there. And cost category, let's say, is worth 15% of your score and so on. And so each year, CMS will change what those percentages are and those weights. But here's the problem with that, and this is one of the criticisms and what we're trying to address. We've asked them to improve the scoring because it's it is so complicated and people don't understand and so you know instead of it being one program that's seamless it's more like four independent programs that they threw together so that's one of the issues that we're trying to address nancy uh for uh people who who are now after this conversation very eager to uh, learn more what is the 
ASCRS SOA resource for them? Okay, we have great resources for MIPS and MACRA. We actually have an entire website that's dedicated to that. We have a hotline, we like to call it, which is a toll-free number that anybody could call as long as you're a member of ASCRS and ASOA uh, to get help because we have had to actually... um, Uh, represent our members with CMS because CMS has made some errors. There have been penalties um, that have been placed on some practices where there shouldn't have been. We actually will represent our members and and resolve those issues. Um, We also have webinars that we do. We're going to do one in March um, in conjunction with ASOA. Um, And we constantly have materials, updated guides, and so forth on not only the whole macro program, but also on each of the components. We talk specifically about the measures, what you need to do to get full credit, and so forth. Oh, this is great stuff. Nancy, I want to thank you very much uh, for, for bringing this this so seriously, and uh, as always, for the generosity of the time you spend with us. Oh, thank you. Gary Condon comes to us from Sarasota, Florida. Nancy McCann from Fairfax, Virginia. Ask questions of Dr. Condon, Ms. McCann, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.